Do you want high quality wines without the high price tag? The wine concierge guarantees satisfaction with every sip. Hold on, it is better. They feature women and minority winemakers and brands. Wines made by people who look like you and me. It's an online wine store, shop 24-7 from your home or office. They even ship to most states. Check out www.thewineconcierge.co for yourself. Use code SWIRL for your special discount and free shipping at www.thewineconcierge.co. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. Happy holidays to you. I hope everyone is drinking great wine and eating great food and amongst great company. So the next few episodes of the Swirl Suite, we are working with the Washington Wine Commission to tap into Washington wine through the lens of winemakers and grape growers. Sometimes winemakers don't grow their own grapes. Sometimes they buy them. They can buy them from wherever or from whomever they want. So in the next few episodes, we are going to talk to three pairs of winemakers and the growers. We're going to talk about how their business relationship started and some of the challenges they may face. First up, J.J. Williams representing the grower from Kiona Vineyards and Winery on Red Mountain and Shay Frechette of Frechette Winery. So if you haven't already, like, subscribe, follow, and of course, be sure to share these episodes. Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. Hey, y'all. Hi. How are you? Welcome. Welcome. Hey, girl. Hey. Can y'all believe how cold it is so fast? It, it needs to get cold. I love all seasons. And I. it just needs to get cold sometimes. It just can't stay warm. People who like to stay warm, move to Florida and get mm. the hurricanes. I just, I love all seasons. Get to mm. wear your boots and your jackets. You know, we can't be in shorts and t-shirts all the time. Yeah, I don't mind. I like it chill. chilly. Right. Yeah, right. That that part. It, boots and jackets, love it. Sweaters, love them. Scarves, yes. More scarves. <laughs> but like cold, hard pass. Okay, not necessary. Uh, we have a great show lined up today. Today is the first of a three-part series with Washington winemakers and wine wine growers. Yes. Grape growers and winemakers. Yes. So we are very excited to have JJ Williams and Shay of Frechette Winery. Welcome to the Swirl Suite. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. JJ, hello. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And hello to you, um, amazing ladies. It's really cool to to get this experience to chat with you. Yes. Thank you for uh, being on the show. We wanted to start with each of your origin stories and how you got into the wine world. Um, We'll start with JJ. JJ, you have been working in the wine wine industry for a very long time. You're a part of the family business. You were the grandson of the first person to plant grapevines on Red Mountain. Tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, sure. Thank you. So my grandparents, as you said, planted the first vineyard on what would become Red Mountain. That was in 1975. My parents moved uh, about a mile up the road in the early 80s, um, and they are responsible for turning what was kind of a a wild idea into a viable business. Um, And now my brother and I, who grew up on Red Mountain and went to school to be um, hopefully skilled in our respective corners of the business, uh, run it now. My brother is uh, the winemaker at our own winery. And uh, together we all farm about 270 acres spread across five estate vineyards on the Red Mountain AVA. So um, we are growing wine grapes, not only for our own winery, but for about 60 of our favorites uh, across the Pacific Northwest. So we are basically a, a grape supplier to our competitors <laughs> and our tack there is a rising tide floats all boats. And as Red Mountain goes, so does Kiona. So as long as um, the people that we're selling grapes to um, uphold the tradition of, you know, uh, excellence and uh, commitment to quality, then we know that we'll be okay. 
and Shea is one of the uh, wineries that we've been working with now for several vintages. And they're our neighbors. So, so Shay, tell us your origin story. You and your husband, you wanted to create a family business. Uh, so how did you land in wine? Yeah, so my husband actually is from uh, this area. He grew up in Pasco and um, went to WSU. So he spent some time in Pullman. I'm from South Carolina, which you will probably hear my Southern accent come out at some point. But we met in California and um, started a really cool life there, working in corporate training and IT. But, you know, after being married for a few years, my husband, Greg, was just like, you know what? Life is good. Let's have a baby. And I said, okay. And he said, if we have a baby, we should move closer to our parents. And I assumed that meant we were going to move closer to my parents in South Carolina. And he assumed that we would move closer to, to his parents in uh, Washington State. So as you can see, we were not on the same page. And after arguing and going back and forth, neither one of us were giving in. So Greg just says, you know what? I'm sick of this. Let's just leave it to fate. Let's flip a quarter. If it lands on heads, we move to Washington. If it lands on tails, we go to South Carolina. And I was two glasses of wine in. So that made sense to me. He flips the coin and that sucker lands on heads for Washington. So I say best out of five. And he goes, no, 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 we're not going to tempt fate. We said wherever it landed, that's where we're going to move. And then I checked to see if it was a two-headed coin and it wasn't. And so um, I sobered up real fast after that. But um, so then as we were talking about moving, um, I mean, I had a great career in corporate training, but I was just like, gosh, maybe there's something else out there for me. And I said to Greg, if we're going to leave California, let's do something that gives us goosebumps. And we both love wine. So we just said, you know what, we're going to quit our jobs and we're going to move to uh, someplace around the Tri-Cities and discovered Red Mountain, wanted a piece of that pie and um, knocked on doors until someone said, yes, they will sell something to us because there was nothing for sale when we were looking. That's such a good story, Shay. I mean, <laughs> really. It Flipping is. a coin? Are you kidding me? You can't, like... <laughs> That's a story. I was getting ready to ask before you said it, Shay. Was it a two-headed coin? And, oh, I and... checked. <laughs> but you know what though so here's the thing that I never even thought of because I don't you know I'm not a football fan but I heard that the reason why they don't use like a quarter in football when they flip the uh, coin is because the head side is slightly weighted more than the tail side so chances are like it's going to hit heads more than tails see I didn't know that when we flipped the coin but now I do but I guess it's too late for a do-over right <laughs> Not that you would want one now, right? <laughs> Who wants to make moonshine and corn liquor in South Carolina? I think I'm more interested in making wine. Well, we're glad you're in Washington. <laughs> we enjoy being here. We do. So wait, so how how did you decide it was wine? Did you flip a coin on that too? Was it something else in the running? No, you know what? We were, I mean, like how often do people go like, what do I want to do in my wildest dreams? And they go off and do it, right? So we, we really didn't know like what we wanted to do because we never really thought about that you know you go to college and you just find a job and you get good at it and you just kind of stay put right and so um we would go out to Laguna Beach and I was just like we just need to to be in front of the ocean and just throw things out and when we feel something good like we get goosebumps like then we know and we kept landing on um agriculture and I wanted to like grow something that I'd be interested in making a product with. And Greg's family grow, they grow wheat in the Palouse. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to really work with wheat. That's not really that fun. I mean, would you guys grow wheat? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it is, a, don't get me wrong. It is a very valuable product in our area. Um, but we just thought, when, you know, we just thought wine grapes. Sometimes when we had these brainstorming sessions, we were enjoying a beautiful bottle of wine. And so I was like, gosh, just like, this is what makes me exciting excited so wine it was understood and we, we're glad you took that route jj and shay i like to talk about red mountain where all of the grapes are so jj what was so special about that property yeah so the honest answer is that it was cheap um <laughs> so the area that now um comprises the red mountain ava was undeveloped um, the Yakimas, the indigenous people of our area, um, largely ignored it because it was so harsh and hot and received a lot of direct wind up the valley, up the greater Yakima Valley. Um, and it's just a, an inhospitable place um, for everything but mice and jackrabbits. Um, my grandfather and his partner 
were conducting, they were helping Washington State University conduct field trials. Uh, basically, in the late 60s, the horticultural extension was trying to determine the commercial viability of growing wine grapes in Washington. And so they were basically planting a row of everything they thought might grow in Washington. And they needed people that were A, adherent to the scientific method, and B, people that were willing to farm. And believe it or not, in the late 1960s, there weren't a ton of people in our neck of the woods that fulfilled both of those criteria. Um, and my grandpa and his partner, Jim Holmes, were willing and able to do that. So they kind of helped run those, what were basically laboratory vineyards um, and, and learned what they could on Washington State University's dime, go kooks, and determined from that experience that they could do this on their own. Um, and so between the two households, there were six kids at home, all high school age or, or younger. And, you know, they had, they had comfortable government jobs, basically. Um, they were, uh, their field was metallurgy. Um, so certainly they weren't destitute or anything, but in terms of, um, you know, being able to finance this thing independently, um, they had to, they had to be creative. So they found this land, um, on the outskirts of town and decided to plant a vineyard there. And as you alluded to, they had to dig a well. There wasn't, uh, it wasn't a given that they would be able to find water and they had to bring in power. They had to bring in a road. So most vineyards nowadays in the 21st century here in Washington are converted farmland. So, you know, you would pull out an alfalfa uh, circle or pull out your red delicious apples, whatever it may be, and then plant Cabernet or, or whatever it is that you want to grow. And Red Mountain was, as we've said, completely undeveloped. So they planted equal parts in 1975, Riesling, Chardonnay, and Cabernet. Um, what's ironic about that is in, in that era of Pacific Northwest wine, the Riesling and the Chardonnay were the prudent things to plant, right? So the, the things that wineries were, the, the grapes that wineries were interested in at the time were those white wine cultivars. And so the fact that they had this crazy outlandish investment and had to take out seconds on their mortgages and all this stuff, um, and and the fact that they dedicated one third of this crazy investment to Cabernet, which was something that nobody was really buying from Washington State as a whole, uh, kind of is the cherry on top of that crazy Sunday. Um, but you know we're we're slow to respond to new data in the wine industry. We like to think we have a Bayesian process where we're incorporating new information and making decisions based on that. It's just the problem is is information comes in real slow. So they started all the paperwork and the and the, the moving the dirt and all this stuff in 1972. Grapes grow in in 1975. You don't get any usable fruit until 1978. It takes two more or three more years to turn that 1978 fruit into sellable finished red wine. So you're looking at a 10-year delay in getting new data. And those early returns certainly were that the Riesling and the Chardonnay were a delight, but the Cabernet was something special. And so you can kind of see through the through the through the years on Red Mountain as um, the decades go on, um, we started to shift from being um, a, a wine producing region to being a red wine producing region. And today in 2022. Shay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure without exaggeration, we are over 99% planted to red wine cultivars in the Red Mountain AVA, which is almost unheard of in the world of wine. I mean, one way or the other. Um, and that's not that the white wines aren't a delight. They are. But when you can grow red wine as well as we do, um, and Cabernet Sauvignon and things that blend into the Cabernet Sauvignon, there's an opportunity cost to planting anything other than, than those things. Um, you know, you can make the world's best Cabernet and you can charge upwards of infinity for it per bottle. You make the best domestic Riesling uh, out there in the world, you might be able to charge 20 bucks for it if you're, if you're lucky. So it, a lot of times it becomes an economic question more so than a you know, do I feel passionate about growing Riesling situation? 
But like I said, we farm 270 plus acres, 60% of what we grow at Kiona is Cabernet. Um, and most of what we grow um, of the other 19 cultivars are things that blend into Cabernet. Um, so we've got basically all of the Bordeaux cultivars and, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but we grow a lot of exciting things on Red Mountain and Cabernet certainly is what pays the bills and what allows um, our community to be viable financially um, and take a step off the beaten path into interesting things maybe that's that people haven't um, had the opportunity to try before or, or maybe um, that they haven't heard before. A while ago, I had spoken with Shay about Red Mountain and I was under the misimpression and I'm glad JJ talked about what um, the climate and terroir is there because unfortunately, and maybe I'm just by myself, but when you think about Washington, you just think of Seattle. I'm sorry. That's what they, and the same thing that they do that on the East Coast too. Um, but it's amazing just how opposite of what you think about Washington and why it makes such a great growing region in that area and why Cabernet is just conducive to that area. And, and Jay or Shay, could you just talk about why Why is it? Why is it so conducive that people don't think about Washington for that type of growing region? Shay, do you want to go? Well, I'll let you take this one since you guys are the ones growing those amazing wine grapes. All right. So no sparkly vampires uh, here in eastern Washington. So um, it's the desert where we are. Um, which is again, like you, you hit the nail on the head. It's not most people's mental image when they think about Washington state, they're thinking about mountains and bald eagles and rain and all this stuff. So, um, where we are on red mountain, we get about six inches of precipitation per year, which to put that in perspective, Phoenix, Arizona averages about eight inches of precipitation per year. So it's certainly not as hot as it is in Phoenix, um, obviously, but it's very, very dry. And part of that is um, we have a double rain shadow effect. So there's mountains on the Washington Peninsula, you know, the part that juts out into the ocean. And then there's the Cascade Mountains um, that kind of bisect the state. You've got Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, Mount Adams, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty good mountain range there. So we're on the, we're on the dry side plateau, basically on the, on the east end of the state. Um, and what's unique about that is we have the somewhat rare combination of having not a lot of precipitation, but ample water resource. And that's because in, in our area, it's called the Columbia Basin, the greater Eastern Washington uh, farming region where we are, um, we are fed by three large rivers, um, which draw from three different drainage basins all across the West. Um, so the Columbia River, the Snake River, and the Yakima River all converge within 10 miles where I'm sitting right now. Um, so again, it's pretty rare to have a place where you've got six inches of precipitation per year um, and ample water resource. So we're, we're lucky in that regard. We have a lot of ripening uh, potential. We, If you're measuring heat units or radiation units or any of those metrics um, to measure you know, how, how we can ripen the grapes that we're growing. We get a lot of sunlight. It's the right kind of sunlight. It happens at the right time of day. Um, and basically during our ripening season, which is between April to through to harvest, it is very uncommon for us to get any measurable precipitation at all. So when the leaves are out and the grapes are growing, it's sunlight every day. Um, it's nice and dry, so we don't have disease and pest pressure like a lot of uh, more damp places might, right? So we get a lot of air drainage. Um, we can apply water when and how we need. Um, the soil is pretty interesting. It's the result of a multiple ice age floods, and where we are on Red Mountain is actually the the soil is wind deposited. So the the sediment basin where those floods washed out is in the modern day Willamette Valley area in Oregon. And the prevailing wind coming off the Pacific Ocean picked up the tiniest particles of that silt deposit and deposited it right here on Red Mountain. So the the, the 
the soil is very, um, it's called sandy less um, and less is more, I guess. So it's, it uh, doesn't have any water retention capability. So it's, um, which is a good thing, right? So Red Mountain Appellated wines tend to be pretty intense, um, deeply colored. You know, it's like we have the we have the knob where we dial it up to 11 and that's kind of Red Mountain shtick. <laughs> that was great. I say you, you described that. <laughs> you did a great job describing that. And I totally agree when you talk about um, what you get from, we work primarily, we work just only with uh, Red Mountain fruit um, for our red wine um, portfolio. And I have to agree, I mean, we do our, it doesn't take long for us to move our wine from um, super sweet juice to the dry wine. Uh, we do that in a, in just a, a matter of a handful of days and we get the color we want, we get the flavor we want, we get the tannin we want in just that short amount of time. So all the, the, um, the gifts that Mother Nature has granted us in this area just work very, very well for the product that we're producing using Red Mountain Grapes. So, so Shay, you said that uh, you were knocking on doors until you found a property or someone said yes. Um, what were your thoughts when you, when y'all landed on Red Mountain? Is that where you landed exactly? Or did you search out for JJ? Like how did your working relationship start? So we, well, from a, finding a, a home for our winery, we were knocking on doors because we would go to these other wineries. Like we would visit um, Kiona and, um, you know, we, we, we knew it was a, a family owned winery where the founders lived on site. And that to me was just very attractive and it, you could feel the sense of community um, on the mountain and we wanted to be a part of that. And so um so we um, so we just kept knocking on doors until someone said yes. But I have to tell you the thing about, you know, we had a relationship with Kiona before we uh, or with the family before we started um, sourcing wine grapes from them. When um, Greg and myself and our little one, Jaden, moved here, um, you know, Jaden was seven months old. He wasn't crawling. You know, he hadn't started crawling yet um, or anything like that. And uh, we had been unpacking boxes all day and then we popped over to Kiona because we were just going to grab a bottle of wine and just really enjoy um, our first night with a beautiful bottle of wine. And um, so we popped in with Jaden for a bottle of wine and, you know, there's this guy and his overalls there. And we just, we were telling the person uh, taking care of us that we're their new neighbors. And they said, Oh, you know, let me, that's John over there. Let's, let me, let me introduce you. And so we just said, Oh my gosh, you really don't want to take a, you know, a lot of time. We got a baby. And it was kind of weird for us. We we're like, we got a baby in a winery. Like, is, can you even do that? So we just wanted to get the bottle and just kind of scurry out of there. But um, JJ's grandfather took the opportunity to um, welcome us and say hello and chat it with us for a few minutes before we scurried it out. And we got home and 10 minutes later, here's this knock at our door. And of course, like being new people here, we're just like, who the heck is knocking at our door? You know, in Southern California, that does not happen. Like people, people just kind of park in their garages and you go in your home, you don't talk to anybody. And so <laughs> the fact that someone would come knocking on our door, you know, so we're peeking out the window and it's, um, and it's John and he invites us over to his home to meet the rest of his family and to, to feed us dinner. And so um, we go over and um, JJ's grandmother, Anne, just, you know, took Jaden and was just bouncing him around. And so we knew we were in the in the right place. But then a few years later, we started working with fruit. We started with the uh, Simeon that we were purchasing from a vineyard, um, an established vineyard prior to um, the Williams family purchasing that vineyard, um, Arts Vineyard. We were, we were um, sourcing Simeon for that, for the, the one white wine that we make. And then we um, thought we'd try and weasel our way in to grab some, to get some uh, Carmen Air. We kind of weaseled our way in, I say, <laughs> to, to get some Carmen Air. I know that they are very uh, highly sought after uh, growers. They've been, you know, doing this for a real long time. And um, we, we saw an opportunity to work with them for another variety and um, thought we'd try and get our hands on some Carmen Air. So we've been working with that for three vintage, well, um, three vintages in bottle now. And we've just been absolutely amazed at the quality of that fruit and the relationship we have with uh, JJ's dad, Scott, um, and sourcing this fruit. And guys, I'm drinking the coming year. It's, it's very, very good. It's very, it's, it feels like an honor to drink it. It's, it's awesome. Thank you very much. Well, I'm glad that we, um, we get to share it. It's, um you know, we had, Greg and I were making, 
Cab and Merlot and Petit Pidot, um, Malbec, Cabernet Franc. We, we were very comfortable with, with those varieties. And we had this opportunity to uh, work with the um, work with Kiona with this fruit. And, um, you know, I would say that we probably were a little bit intimidated in a lot of ways because for this uh, carm, we weren't planning to blend it. You know, our goal was to create a 100% Carmenere. And um, so with that, and being that it was the only site we were sourcing it from, we were planning to make this vineyard designate. And so the challenge, well, not really a challenge in it, but the part about that that is um, nerve wracking is that now you're going to put the name of this vineyard on your bottle. And so there's a lot of pressure um, for us uh, with that because it's not just us making a phenomenal wine for our family and our wine club members and the guests that visit us, but it's also creating a product that's gonna make um, those growers and that family proud as well. So there was a lot of pressure <laughs> um, in, in making this wine, um, but it's a very, it's a fun variety to work with because, um, you know, even out tasting this fruit in the vineyard, it is so different. I mean, it really is. And when we are, um, you know, walking in and pulling barrier samples uh, in the vineyard, we're tasting along the way. So usually, um, you know, where we are, we start with, um, you know, Red Path, which is the vineyard right behind me that you can see. Um, it's a small vineyard, nine acres planted. And uh, we pull there and we go across the street to um, another vineyard and pull fruit from there. And then we, we take our side by side right on up to Heart of the Hill. And so we're tasting all these other um, berries. And then we get to this Carmenere, which is just like, you can just like put it in line, a lineup and taste that Carmen. It always stands out always stands out. But since it was such a new variety for us, um, you know, we really relied on the feedback from Scott on things like, well, when do we pick this? <laughs> you know, we, we don't just rely on numbers when we're pulling from the other sites. And so we're chewing through the skins and chewing through the seeds and, you know, trying to figure out when the best, because when you pick, that's it. Like there's no going back. I mean, like that, that decision is made, that, that fruits off that vine and you know, it's ready to, um, you know, it, it's ready to process. And so um, that pick decision is just really important to us. And so we were really um, getting some great guidance from uh, Scott on um, on how to, you know, when to pick that and how to work with that variety. So we we're just really grateful for that. Shane and Greg do a stupendous job with the grape. Um, and we always feel... Um, gracious and excited to be honest when someone chooses to vineyard designate a wine. So uh, thank you guys for doing such a good job with that wine. Um, so we first planted Carmenere in 2008 at our heart of the hill estate vineyard. Um, and <laughs> we plant things at Kiona maybe that are a little strange at first glance. Um, part of that has to do with our ownership structure. We don't have debt and we don't have investors, so we can do things because we want to, not necessarily because we have to. Uh, but we have about 4.8 acres of Carmenere planted. And initially, we didn't really know what to do with it. Um, you know, so you plant a new cultivar and you got to wait a couple of years for it to, to produce any kind of usable fruit. We brought some in at the winery and as Shay alluded to, it, it tastes different. It smells different. Um, and as the years went on, we actually started incorporating Carmenere in our own blending program um, in two to 5% um, blending components because it really does do uh, wondrous things to a Bordeaux um, cultivar wine. Um as a, as a general rule of thumb, um, Carmenere, which is related to Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. In fact, I think it's an offspring of Cabernet Franc. You'll have to Wikipedia that later, maybe. Um, <laughs> but as a general rule of thumb, it's got a lot of pyrazine. So Carmenere, if it's picked um, less ripe, especially, um, can have a pretty distinctive um bell pepper or, or green aspect to it. 
And what's nice about growing it on Red Mountain is we have no shortage of ripening potential. So we're able to get Carmenere ripe enough. Um, so the pyrazine is well integrated. Um, and it doesn't become an overbearing aspect to the wine. I like to describe pyrazine um, as you might soup uh, and salt in a soup. So too much pyrazine or too much salt, and it can overpower the soup and not enough, and it kind of lacks pizzazz. So when you're growing Carmenere, that's something that you need to pay attention to. And what's nice about growing Carmenere, um, you know, we're growing high-end wine grapes for high-end discerning clients. Um, and so it's important that things work the way they should. And Carmenere is very um, predictable. And what I mean by that is like the actual physiology of the plant, um, like the shoots that you select are, are not temperamental as they might be with something else like Morvedra. Um, and the spacing of the fruit is such so you don't have to worry so much about the clusters being too tight or rubbing up against each other. So if you're talking about, um, you know, temperamental children, uh, this is the, this is the A student who follows directions and makes their bed uh, without having to be asked. So um, Carmenere now is, is a very important part of our own um, winemaking program. And we do um, obviously make it available to a few clients. There's a waiting list um, for the fruit. So assuming you know, no one that's got it now is ever going to drop it, then that waiting list will, uh, you know, it's kind of exists as an idea only. Uh, but certainly if we wanted to plant more, I think we could sell it pretty, pretty easily. Well, I will have to, I will say, JJ, there's one of your clients that's, uh, uh, you know, coming after us, like, you should drop the contract, which is like, no, you should, we want more carbon from them. No, you should. I'm just like, get, get away. <laughs> It's a good problem to have, uh, you know, to grow wine grapes that people want to um, make into compelling wine is it's a we're doing things OK, I guess. So, JJ and Shay, like, how does it work with your collaboration? Do you guys like have a meeting a few times a year and you discuss on like what your desires are for the next wine, the next vintages, what you're looking for? How does that work? Well, my dad um, is the viticulturist, so he's kind of the farmer. Um, he's got the the ripped jeans and the scaly hands and all that good stuff. Um, and he is very knowledgeable, but somewhat quiet and reserved, um, especially when it comes to things like emails and phone calls and stuff. So um, I think that uh, it's when the, when our collaborations are between folks that we're not separated from by a, a geographical distance, maybe you have a few more touch points throughout the year. Um, I mean, Shane and Greg were walking across the street the other day as I was driving into work. So I stopped my car as you do on a country road and we chit chatted through my open window for a little bit and, uh, you know, off we went. So, I mean, that's the type of, um, community we have here on Red Mountain. Shay um, and Greg have, uh, like she alluded to, they do a lot of their own sampling for picking decisions. So they're walking the vines. Um, and like I said, we grow wine grapes for a lot of wineries and a lot of them are three or four hours away by car. So, um, you know, Shay has um, some ownership in the way that that wine tastes as a, as a winemaker that just wouldn't be possible um, if you're further distance away, like the number of touch points that she has with that block, you know, walking those rows, making sure that things are how she wants. And it's more of a feedback loop versus us just telling the winemaker that's three and a half hours away, how things are, are doing. Yeah. And I think also like you just, for, for us, um, we really, we ha we have to trust our growers, and I think that it was um really easy to trust um Scott and um the the family at Kiona. Uh, I mean, they've been doing this for a real long time. Um, they are pioneers out here. They tested things out. They figured out what works, and and then they just do those things better. And so um you know, as I was sharing earlier, this is a, um, you know, we hadn't worked with CARM before. We were very familiar with, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon and some of the other border varieties, but 
um, this this board of right is very new for us. And so um, Scott is a um, he's very he's very good at what he does. Um, he answers any questions you have. He just he helped us to to really make decisions on when we when we needed to pick this and when we needed to let it hang. And if we weren't sure about something, you know, he was really great at helping to to guide us along the way. Um, so for us, we we look at um, things like, um, you know, for we have to look, we have, to, we have a very long runway um, before we actually have a product. Right. So um, it's December 2022. Um, we're going to start looking at what our sales are going to be, what our wine club will be uh, for 2024 or 2025, sorry. <laughs> so, um, and that's going to determine what fruit we put contracts in for in January of 2023. Those numbers make any sense because what I pick for 2023, I'm not selling into 2025. And so um, I'll go, you know, if I'm looking for more Cabernet Sauvignon, I may go to Scott, send him a note and just say, hey, um, do you have, you know, this particular cap available, this particular clone available? Um, we tend to, what we try and do is send um, our growers our wines as well um, so that they can get the result that we're looking for. And so, um, you know, perhaps if they have more than one clone in their, um, you know, within their portfolio, they may be able to make recommendations to us. And so, um, you know, Scott's one of those guys that it's, JJ says he doesn't reply to email, but I tell you, I'll, I'll tell you that when we ask for more, uh, we emailed the, um, someone on the vineyard side about more karm and that person said yes we have more karm i tell you scott replied pretty fast <laughs> to say nope we don't have any more so he was really great on email at that time but we basically uh just say look we're looking for you know this amount from a tonnage standpoint of fruit available and that grower would guide us along the way on what they have, what clones they have, where where on the mountain they have that, like the Kiona family, they have a few, they have uh, some different sites on the mountain. And so um, providing guidance that way. Um, what I what I love about working with um, Scott is that they do identify our rows. And so um, they'll put our name on those rows in the vineyard. And um, throughout the growing season, Greg and I have pop out there. Um, and when that, if we catch up with the vineyard manager, they're very, um, transparent about what they're doing, what they're, you know, what their crew is, um, how they're taking care of the vineyard that, you know, at that point of the season, um, some of the things that they're doing to get us the result that we want um, in, in the vineyard. And so um, that's one of the benefits, I think, of being so close is that we really, at any point in time, are popping into these vineyards and just kind of seeing how that crop is doing. When it comes time to pick as we get later on into the season, I think um, we probably start to work with the grower a little bit more. Um, because we're, you know, on the crush pad and our operation is pretty small. Logistics is just key for us. So when we need to get pick bins into a vineyard, um, so if they're picking for us on a Tuesday, we need to drop those off Wednesday night. We've got to have space on our crush pad. We've got to have um, firm fermentation bins available. And so um, those things make a difference to us. And so we do communicate probably a lot more with our growers, uh, with Scott, um, as we get closer to um, our actual pick date and harvest dates and and things like that. I feel like, you know, hopefully this doesn't make Christmas awkward for having blasted my dad unintentionally for not answering emails, but he does a good job. He does a good job, especially when, uh, you know, a quality winery partner e emails, you got to answer that. But, you know, uh, trying to figure out you know, from the salesperson, which one of 1000 barrels we're going to buy, maybe those emails don't get answered quite as, quite as quick. <laughs> or maybe if you need an answer, send it to me and I'll email your dad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> maybe we'll use, yeah, we'll <laughs> use Shay as a proxy. That's a good idea. He'll answer the email from Shay faster than me. Hey, if you could get me a little more calm, JJ, um, then I will, I will do that for you. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> hey there, our wine lover friends. Imagine this, not having to go to the wine store, someone delivering wines directly to your home or office. Better yet, imagine having wines produced by women, black and Latinx winemakers and owners. Your dreams have come true. 
Honestly, they really did. Swirl Suite listeners, the Wine Concierge makes this happen. The Wine Concierge is an online wine store that features affordable handcrafted wines produced by women and minority winemakers, vintners, and owners from boutique vineyards. They have an amazing selection of domestic and international wines. Trust me, I've tried them. And they deliver to most states. Use code SWIRL for a special discount and free shipping on their holiday bundles and wines. Visit www.thewineconcierge.co to use your discount. Again, the site is www.thewineconcierge.co. Now let's get back to the show. Do you grow any um, grape varieties at all yourselves or do you buy all your um, grapes from JJ's um, Vineyards? So we grow, we have um, a little over two acres of our own estate vineyard. We have um, Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, we acquired a few more acres around uh, where we are. And so we'll plant in the spring. Um, So we'll, you know, it's only uh, nine more acres that we'll be planting. Um, So we'll still rely on our vineyard partners for, for, uh, for, for fruit. I think that for us, um, you know, for Frechette, we try and be, for Frechette and our and our um, other brand, Sachet, we try to be a beautiful expression of Red Mountain. And what I mean when I say that is I, I believe that Red Mountain, although it's a very small uh, ABA, is a very diverse ABA. Um, and I think JJ will probably agree with this because they do have vineyards on different different areas of the mountain. And so um, those different areas of the mountain can, can feed you different things, different soil types, different elevations. Um, so for us, it's fun to be able to, um, get cab from a, um, you know, a grower at the lower elevation and a grower at higher elevation with rows that run in different, you know, orientations. And, you know, so we get to see that product when it comes into the production facility. In fact, um, we actually, in one vintage, we can make four different Cabernet Sauvignons from four different vineyards on Red Mountain. And to me, like that's fascinating. Um, to me, I love when I can taste a vineyard. You know, you still have, um, you know, varietal typicity. I mean, a cab is, you know, you it, it still tastes like Cabernet Sauvignon, but you get these nuances that are really great expressions of that site. And I think for me making wine like that, to me, is just crazy exciting. Um, but at the same time, I have to rely on these growers that really understand their site um, and that can grow still premium wine grapes based on their site to give me a, a quality product. So although we will expand our estate vineyard um, for Frechette, uh, we'll still have a percentage of wine grapes that we we purchase from uh, our grower partners. So what's the um, story behind the branding of Frechette Winery? So Frechette is... <laughs> So Frechette's our last name and okay. uh, yeah, Frechette is our last name. But what was interesting is that when we were looking for a name for our winery, I mean, we were, the, the name that stands out to me and probably because of that, sh- uh, that Disney movie, Happy Feet. I don't know. Is there a winery <laughs> called Happy Feet? I don't know. Anyways, we were looking for a name for our winery. And so we just had like random, we were just trying to think of everything. We had a list of like maybe 30 names. And I remember Happy Feet being on that <laughs> list and so we um, sent this list out to a few of our friends. We said, hey, you know, we're looking for a name for our winery. Can you help us out? Like just brainstorm some stuff with us. And they came back with this list and just nothing was really hitting home. And um, someone else that that we had shared, we were opening this winery with, they said to us, gosh, I can't wait to visit Frechette. And we were just like, oh. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay. That's the name of the winery. <laughs> it just didn't dawn on us to use our last name. But my maiden name is Balloon, like a hot air balloon. So that doesn't sound like a winery name. But Frechette kind of sounds like it could be a winery. <laughs> so Sashay came around in uh, 2016. I went to an event called Celebration of Black Women in Wine. You may know Marcy Jones. She puts this um, event together. Um, and I, I stumbled across that event. I was actually looking for um, a women's retreat. JJ talked about like how hot it gets during the summer. 
he didn't say as we're recording like how cold it is during <laughs> the winter. And so being from South Carolina and then living in Southern California, um, I was just really, really struggling with the with the winter here. And so I just I just needed to get away and to spark some creativity. And so I was just looking for an event. And I came across this event called Celebration of Black Women in Wine and I read the description and it said, oh, there's some black female winemakers. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I've got to see this because I had never met a black female winemaker. And so um, I booked a ticket and uh, went to Miami and um, I was just so incredibly inspired. I mean, I was way more inspired and empowered than I thought I could ever be. And um, on the flight back from Miami to Tri-Cities, I just I just created um, a brand that I thought would be a really cool expression of me. Um, I chose the name Sachet. It's a play on my name, but also it's a word that's used in the South. Um, if you ever hear women going, look at you sashaying like you don't have a care in the world. I, you know, when I was growing up, my my mom and my aunts will always say that. And it, I always felt good hearing them. It was just like these um, these beautiful and um, resourceful and smart women that use this word in such a playful way that it brought me some joy. And so um, as I thought about what I wanted for a label, um, I, I selected that name. Um, for Frechette, we're pretty dedicated to Bordeaux varieties. So, you know, we really didn't move outside of that box. And um, I was just like, well, if I create this label, I can make some wines that are that I'm excited about um, and wines that like really challenge me. And Syrah was a variety that I was just very fascinated with, um, a little bit afraid of, but <laughs> very fascinated with. And so Sachet was that opportunity for me to play with something a, a little different. And then I also wanted to create a message that would inspire other women the way that um, this experience at the Celebration of Black Women and Wine inspired me. So the back of the label is the verbiage that you see right here. It just says you are strong, you are courageous, you are fierce. You have the ability to create positive change in this world. So lift your chin, push your shoulders back and sashay girl, sashay. Okay, now the snaps, I just, I throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> I throw that in, but um, I'm I'm just excited about about the the label. It's very small. Um, I only make a rosé and uh, and Syrah. Just those two, we sell them right out right out of the tasting room. Um, here we don't put them in our wine club. It's such a smaller production that um, it's just something that complements what we do with our other Frechette wines. Thank you for asking about that. Is the rosé made from your Syrah grapes? No, in fact, the rosé is made from Merlot. Yeah, the rosé is made from Merlot. Leslie's had that. Leslie's had that sachet. <laughs> that's so. That's why she's holding back. I, I forget to tell people that that rosé makes you a little bit. You can find at the store. I know, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's an excellent rosé. People are uh, when they taste it. Um, it's a fuller body rosé, if that's fair to say. Um, that you don't expect from a, a Merlot? It's made similar to the, you know, all of the wines that we make here um, are very dry. The um, Simeon that we get from uh, JJ's family, we make that um, bone dry. We ferment that all the way down, all the sugars out of it. Um, we put that Simeon in uh, French oak, some new French oak for about eight months before we bottle it. The rosé that I make, though, um, I just ferment, ferment that in tank, and then I take that I take that straight to to bottle. So JJ, what um what wines do you produce at your winery? Oh, what don't we make at our winery? Um, we we make a fair number of wines that are sold all over the country. Uh, Cabernet, obviously, we've touched on. I, I'll pivot and 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 answer your question. What is something that we make that is uh, different from what everybody else makes? And we make uh, the 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 largest Lemberger uh, production in the Western Hemisphere. So you know that sounds awesome. It's like oh my gosh, but um, you know it's it's a somewhat low bar. But someone has to be the biggest Lemberger producer in the Western Hemisphere, and that happens to be us. So we've been growing Lemberger on Red Mountain since um, 1976. So it went in pretty early. And our first uh, release of Lemberger was 1980. Are all your wines under the same label? Yeah. So we have, um, 
Yeah, it's a good question. So Kiona, K-I-O-N-A is the name of our um, winery. And unlike most wineries that are our size and that have vineyard holdings like ours, we actually, we don't declassify anything. So we make under $20 red blends and we make $85 vineyard designated Cabernet and it's all under the same name. And, you know, the, the, the tendency is for big um, estates like ours to, um, to kind of hide fruit um, by, you know, putting a different name on it or, or whatever and making it a grocery store wine. And, and we certainly sell wines in grocery stores, but we put our own name on it. We don't want to hide anything or pull the wool over anyone's eyes. So if it's good enough to put in a bottle and take someone's money for, then you should probably like put your own name on it and not be, you know, not hide it, I guess. So yes, to answer your question. Thank you. So before we move to our closeout question, for people who are future wine growers, uh, well, grape growers and winemakers, what are some challenges that they may run into working with an external grape grower and from your end, JJ, working with an external winemaker? Well, um, having a winery is very capital intensive up front. So it's important for a winery to be able to have a finished or a sellable product, like pretty quick out the gate. So, you know, you can spend money on a, a, a building and tanks and barrels and all this stuff and branding and have everything in place. Uh, but you have to, like, it takes a lot of uh, gumption to spend all that money up front and not have something that you can sell, you know, until two or three years later. So having a plan for that, um, is a pretty big barrier to entry um, and being careful with your spend and making sure that you're, when you do have something to sell, that it's something that people are going to, you know, find compelling. Um, we do have at Kiona, you know, it's weird to think about a vineyard as being a piece of inventory, but it is. So, you know, we can have someone come to us and say, Hey, we're thinking about building a wine. Uh, putting together sourcing, we want it to taste a certain way, or we envision it being this, or it fitting in this part of our portfolio. And at Kiona, because we have lots of different blocks that do lots of different things, and we have our own winery, we can kind of show people like, okay, here's the Cabernet from Arts Vineyard. This is what it tastes like. This is what you can expect. And then you bring them over to the next barrel and says, okay, well, here's Cabernet from Heart of the Hill. So if you're looking for XYZ, you might consider this one. If you're looking for, you know, this other character, then maybe this would be a better block. And so for us, because we're selling, like I said, high-end grapes to high-end discerning wineries and winemakers, you want to make sure um, that you're fitting block, um, you're, you're matching the blocks uh, to maximize what, what everybody um, wants to get out of the wine. You can't, you can't square peg in a round hole um, at this section of the wine market. It, the, the grapes are not interchangeable. You really have to match them um, to the right style and winemaker um, desires. I guess I'm up next for that question. Okay. <laughs> well, I think because, um, you know, we, for our red uh, wine portfolio, we source exclusively Red Mountain, which means that we're pretty, we're pretty limited and we're pretty limited to what our growers have available. And so I think that, um, you know, for us can be a challenge. There are times that we, I mean, we would really like a little bit more Carbonier or a little more, you know, Cabernet Franc, but we are just, we're really restricted, you know, to, um, you know, to what's available. And so I think that that can be a challenge um, for us because that really dictates a lot of, um, you know, how we make decisions on, wine club or what we release or um, what we have on our tasting bar, what we can put on our tasting bar. Um, so that's probably the, the um, you know, a challenge with, um, you know, choosing to um, only work with growers uh, here on Red Mountain. I would have to say though, um, when it comes to like any other um, challenge that we might, we might have, um, if it if it's challenge of something in the vineyard, um, most of the time our growers take that as their own challenges as well, and are really really good about helping us come up with with solutions um, to some of the you know if there's any problems. I, I know sometimes like with uh, Mother Nature, 
Um, you know, Kayona saved our bacon in 19. There was a freeze and we just had to pull fruit, get it off the vine, get it into production, but we didn't have permit bins. And so um, it was a very last minute thing, um, you know, going over to them and just saying, do you have any, any bins available? And um, they said, yeah, come on over. And they were emptying their own products out of those bins as they were making them available to us. I mean, it was just like, okay, let's, we can free these up. And so, um, you know, that was, that's outside of a, a challenge from the um, on the vineyard side, but I think that shows on how um, when there's a challenge with a customer that um, can impact winemaking that, you know, you just have some great, we have great relationships with our growers that they try and help us out and figure out solutions. I know JJ has to hop off. Um, JJ, before you go, please tell everybody where they can follow you and Kayona. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you all for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, helping spread the the word on Washington wine and Red Mountain and and for Shet Winery and Kayona Vineyards, I, I appreciate it very much. Um, you can find us online at uh, just put into the old Google machine K I O N A. We'll pop up there. Uh, pretty good. Uh, or if you want to use my fancy URL that I paid too much money for, you can go to Kayona Wine. So that's pretty fancy. So thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, JJ. So, uh, uh, Shay, you might as well share um, where everybody uh, can follow you. Shay, it's a little difficult to spell, though, so I'll spell that out. It's just F-R-I-C-H-E-T-T-E. It's our last name. But um, you can find us on our website at FrechetteWinery.com. And all of our social media channels are very easy. It's just at FrechetteWinery. Wonderful. Um, guys, any other questions for Shay before we do these quick close out questions oh i i just have a quick, okay. quick question the common era is it available outside of the winery so well here's what's what's crazy this term that we sent to you is actually sold out and so we pulled this from we usually save one case for our library and um i just loved this vintage so much that i wanted to um, take this opportunity to share this wines with you, to share this wine with you on this podcast because I'm just so grateful um, that that you have me as a guest and I just thought it was a such a such a special wine to get the opportunity to share. So unfortunately, uh, this one's completely <laughs> completely sold out. We're just releasing our uh, 2020 Carmenere. We made a few cases of of that one. 2020 was a lower yield year. And so we didn't get as much as we, we'd we like. And that CARM is very different from this one. Um, the CARM that you have, Sarita probably noticed like the pyrazines in that one. There's this beautiful jalapeno that's there. It does not overpower the fruit, which I love. Um, the 2020 that we are going to be releasing is very different. It's a lot more fruit driven. And you really have to look for um, for the pepper in that 2020 vintage. Okay. So these are um, close our questions, a simple this or that. You don't need to provide any explanation. Okay, here we go. And we all can answer. Book or movie? Oh, like a book that's made into a movie or just in general? Girl, didn't I just say you don't need no explanation? I'm sorry. I'm just trying to clarify. All right. If you had to pick a book or movie today, which one would it be? Oh, a movie. Depends. What's the subject? Oh, but you just got on me about asking questions. <laughs> I didn't ask a question. I'm I'm saying both. Okay. I'm Leslie. Book. Okay. Book for me, please. Um, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go book for me too. Okay, next one. Paella party or oyster roast? Paella. Paella party. Paella party for real? Leslie. Come on. I'm doing the oyster roast. Thank I you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Tanisha. See, Oyster. Thank you. If it's Drago's, then I'm going to And don't even oh, roast them. Just put them on ice. I want mine slightly That too. G give me both. Well, can, give I me ask, both. can I just ask a question? I know you said no questions, but I, I have <laughs> Okay, so Paella says party. Is Oyster Rose, is that a party as well? Usually, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Did you change your answer? The part. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't it's change my answer, but I'm drawn to a good party. So, all right, everybody, thanks for joining us, real sweet. That is a wrap. Cheers. Thank you.
Thanks for joining this Royal Suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Vine Me Up, Glennis at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino 301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vine Me Up Media. <laughs>